You're listening to 1881, powered by the American Hereford Association and part of the Hereford Network. Here's your host, Shane Bedwell. Welcome to another edition of 1881. This is Shane Bedwell, your host for the American Hereford Association's podcast, and uh, we couldn't be more excited uh, about the enthusiasm and the interest that uh, all of you uh, listeners have called in, texted, emailed, uh, wrote uh, about all the nice compliments, and we certainly appreciate uh, your time and energy, uh, passion about the breed, and uh, uh, we're just going to keep it going. And uh, I think uh, our last podcast was a, was a definite success with uh, Mark Cooper and Jack Holden. Uh, two stalwarts of the Hereford breed, and uh, it's uh, it's pretty interesting to, to listen to to that story and and hear about uh, how those two families have have kind of taken on uh, their breeding programs and uh, what they've done and what they're going to do in the future uh, with the next generation. And so uh, keep listening, keep tuning in. Uh, we appreciate your comments, and uh, without further ado, uh, it's my pleasure. To introduce uh, this episode's um, special guest, and that's Mr. Glenn Klippenstein. Welcome. Well, you think you're excited. You should be where my heart is right now. <laughs> and talking about my heart, it always has been with cattle and Hereford cattle ever since I've been a little kid. So this is a really a great opportunity to interface with some of my old friends. Absolutely, and uh, we're looking forward to to all the history and uh, all the accomplishments that uh, Glenn has had throughout his lifetime. Of course, Glenn, uh, uh, you know, a decorated uh, Penn State graduate, uh, and then went on to to a famous uh, career in the Hereford breed Hall of Fame inductee in two thousand five. And uh, you just don't get put into those kind of organizations uh, and uh, those those Hall of Fames. And uh, there's there's several highlights uh, in between that we're going to kind of walk back through history uh, with Glenn and, and let him share a little bit about that. But uh, we're really excited. And uh, you've been involved and entrenched in the beef industry your whole entire life. And you've gave back every step of the way. And so... Uh, uh, it's really neat to have you here in the office, here at the headquarters, here in Kansas City. And uh, let's get started. Uh, Glenn, if you want to just kind of share a little bit about uh, uh, your family, where you where you grew up, uh, and kind of what uh, led you to Penn State University. Well, Shane, it's kind of interesting that you say uh, that this really, this is a team effort. I've been the recipient of so much and it's primarily due to always good people around me. Mm-hmm. And giving back, yes, we all did that together. And it just seems like when you do it as a team and you're holding hands and you've got a, a dream and then the ability through hard work and inspiration and hope, you get these things done and it makes an amazing life. Mm-hmm. One that for me started in Saskatchewan, Canada, <clears throat> on my uh, grandparents' homestead. Okay. And I remember, and I do remember, when I was just four years old, my father gave me a calf. Its mother had died while she was calving. And this calf was there in the morning. So Dad gave it to me, and he said, milk a cow and get it, the bu- nurse out of the bucket. Well, the it's hard to milk a cow because I, you know, at four years old, you don't milk one very well. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> and I finally did the deed. I worked really hard at it, and I got some milk in that bucket, and I got the nose of the calf and the milk, and it slobbered it all over the place. Mm-hmm. So I had to start over again. Mm-hmm. And next time I was successful, and I remember that tail wagging, mm-hmm. that gratitude, yep. and I was hooked yep. for life. You had the fever. I had the fever. And then the next eventful thing that happened was when I was 11 years old, my parents left Saskatchewan in order to get a good education for their four children. 
and uh, I didn't know why they were doing this. All I knew is I was leaving, and this was my place, and I loved it there. I had my friends there, although this, there weren't very many people around. But the last thing that was sold that day, because we had an auction for everything, and people kept carting stuff off all day, mm-hmm. was my horse. Is that right? And I led that horse in the evening amongst a throng of only about five people that were left. And auctioneer set a price, and somebody, yes. Next one, no. Took, came and got my horse, led it off. My horse and my heart. Oh, my gosh. It was tough. Yeah. So I went upstairs, not, you know, to cry myself to sleep because, I, you know, I was kind of a chicken heart, I guess. And the bed was gone. So I didn't even have that. So Dad came up with his coal oil lantern. I'll never forget those steps. Oh, my. You know, knowing I didn't know that his he was sadder than I was. Yeah. But, you know, being a little boy, I was kind of selfish. And he woke me up and he says, Glenn, he says, you can't ever get married to a piece of livestock there for us to make a living with. Yeah. That was a great lesson. Fundamental. And, and had I, the other lesson I didn't learn until later is that if I'd have hustled that crowd, (laughs) when there was a crowd, I might've gotten a whole lot more from my horse. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And, but then we, we moved to Pennsylvania to this education and it was a great education. Looking back, it was absolutely fundamental to whatever, happiness I've enjoyed, which has been a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, were, they, were, they were bright. And then yeah. I went off to Penn State University. Right. You know, coming from Saskatchewan to Pennsylvania originally, it, was, it wasn't easy because yeah. those people were all together different. It was a different culture. Big adjustment. I was a farm boy, mm-hmm. and they, none of them were. Mm-hmm. And by George, I was going to show them that me, a farm boy, yeah. could do anything they could do, and I, by George, I was going to make it better. Right. So at Penn State, I, I got there, and I was just, it was just like a release because mm-hmm. I was with my own. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, I mean, I switched on. Professor Purdy, Herman Purdy was there. He was, he was kind of the beef cattle man of the planet. Right. And that was quite an honor to work for him at the beef barns. First year I was there, we had the grand and reserve grand champion steers at the International. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. my. He has no kidding. And uh, I, I nursed the grand champion for till he was 13 months old. Is that right? Yeah, no, those are the yeah. days when, when fat was in. Yeah. Hopefully we're not getting there again today, but we were really in it then. Right. In fact, you could, you could poke the steer on his tail setting, and I swear his ears would wiggle. Yep. And uh, anyhow, one thing led to another. Meats judging team, livestock judging team, I both right. did, did really, really well in that, but not good enough to be a national champion. But at any rate, uh, then I had the opportunity to visit with President Eisenhower. Yeah, this is that such was, a neat story. Well, it, it, it really was. In fact, the first time I met him, not, not physically, but through the telephone, it was the night before he was reelected to the second term in office on the Monday night, and the phone rang, and we were over, two of us were over at Herman Purdy's residence and eating supper, and the phone rang, and this is, this is Herman Purdy's residence, and the other guy said, this is General Eisenhower, <laughs> not President Eisenhower, General Eisenhower. I about flipped out. I said, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but it was what he wanted to know, having gone through his cow herd that afternoon because he was at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, because that was his formal residence, mm-hmm. to vote for himself, I'm sure, which bulls he use, should be using on which cows the next spring. That's so neat. Wow. Of my goodness. Yep. And then, then the next next time, another student and I with Professor Purdy were at his residence when I was getting ready to re- graduate and, you know, ostensibly for an interview to be his farm manager. Right. And he told us about uh, Link, or Lincoln uh, Pickett's charge and went through it like a military man would. Yeah. And it, he said it's the it's most insane battles in the annals of human warfare. And then he went on to Normandy. Oh my. Here's the man that talking to two kids oh, wow. about Normandy. Wow. You know, the greatest battle of sure. World War II, the Supreme Allied Commander. Yeah, yeah. Where they're setting up reconnaissance plans to fake Rommel out. And they, and they aborted mission the first night of June the 5th, 
1945. Wow. They changed it to June the 6th because the weather was so bad. Only thing is, weather turned worse. And they, and they said, I'm worse, we're going anyhow. Yeah. And by the time they got to the other shore across the channel, it took about four hours, it it's calmed down a lot. Yeah. But they said that uh, Rommel was with his wife. He was he was the big German commander. Sure. And the, they would never think that they would be coming on a night like this, so they went. Yeah. And they couldn't keep a secret any longer, he said. Yep. I remember just how he said it. It was <laughs> it was amazing. And it changed uh, changed everything. I mean, that uh, that... That one decision. That was the fulcrum point. I mean, that, uh, unbelievable. It, it, it definitely was. And you know, that's another thing in this industry. And, you know, here we have Taylor Matheny here, and she's a prime example of the opportunities young people have. Not only that, they have it with so many people mm-hmm. that are real, right. that have their feet on the ground, their eyes in the sky, and everything in between. Mm-hmm. They have common sense. They're, by and large, they're taught to be honest. Yep. And they have courage. Right. And courage and the, that three-legged stool today is an absolute, or we're not going to be what we can be. Right, right. So from that standpoint, I, I've, I've always been so pleased that my kids grew mm-hmm. up on a farm and ranch and were able to go like to the junior nationals attend our sales, be there when visitors come, international yeah. visitors well, all the way from ditch diggers to, to presidents. Right. And, uh, you know, they know that the, the world is occupied with people that everybody has a talent, and so they begin to really respect not only other people but themselves along with it. Sure, sure. So uh, Herman uh, Purdy, a legend. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure uh, some listeners here on the – on the podcast, maybe don't know that name. If they if they don't, uh, what what can you tell them about Herman? Well, he was a natural born teacher, mm-hmm. and he had the DNA plus to be a a livestock person, even primarily a cattle person. His uh, he loved youth. Mm-hmm. He was he was pretty shy. Uh, he was a masterful eye he was relatively patient with teaching you if you wanted to be learn if you didn't i mean that was too bad you weren't you know he wouldn't yeah. pay attention then right but i remember one time and this is kind of a funny story but he was judging a show a big show and it was a class of 21 23 angus heifers and uh, a lady comes up to right after the placing and says mr purdy why did you place my heifer second and she was kind of aggravated. I mean, more so than I could believe that anybody would talk to Professor Purdy this way. Right. And he just folded his hands, his arms, like he often did. And he says, lady, there were 21 below her that I didn't like as well. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, this, this kind of taught me a lesson that, first of all, don't get, don't get all fouled up when somebody comes and gives you. Right. You know, just stay cool. Yep. which he always did, yep. and he always said, if you're going to make a mistake, do it fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he also always said that those convinced against their will are of the same opinion still, and we can see that so often today. Yep. So when true. It is, and mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's one of the mm-hmm. challenges of life is to try to, yep. try to influence somebody to your point of view. Right. And then you hope and pray that your point of view is correct. Yep. So you uh, you finished up an animal science degree at uh, Penn State University, worked uh, for Herman at the beef barn. Uh, Professor uh, Purdy there uh, was involved in judging teams, and then that kind of all led up to graduation. And then uh, what was the next step? Well, I, I graduated Mr. Agriculture in the you know in the School of Agriculture. It was it was I think the second or third largest ag school at sure. at that time. Yeah. So this was kind of fun, you know, for kid working in the beef barn and still seemingly I didn't need much sleep in those days and yeah right uh, and I would you know extracurricular activities were big deal I mean that, that's why I, why I went to school and that's where I learned the most frankly took advantage of all those opportunities you bet yeah, yeah. you bet yep and then I went and farmed on my own mm-hmm. I, a person called me I was going to join the Marine Corps in fact I was within 12 hours of signing my name yeah 
And the guy called me on, a, on the evening before, asked whether I'd be interested in renting his farm. And oh my goodness, yes, I would. 700 acres in eastern Pennsylvania. And anyhow, I, well, I said, I don't have any money. Well, he says, uh, you, if you're interested, you figure out the cash flow, and uh, I'll see whether I can make it happen. Yeah. Well, I says, I'm going to, I've already nearly signed on to be a Marine. Well, he says, Glenn Klippenstein, I know you well enough. I've watched you on the wrestling mat. There's other people that need to join the Marine Corps, and you're not one of them. <laughs> and he, this was a high-ranking former, sure. former Marine. Right. So, okay, I stayed up all night, and I figured out these cash flow statements, you know, for the, about five years ahead, mm-hmm. best I could. And uh, I needed to borrow $14,000. Now, remember, those were different days, and I was pretty conservative. You think I'm conservative now? I was more yeah. so then. And, and it, one thing led to another, and he— Rented the farm, and six years later, I had enough money, about $140,000, almost all in cattle. Right. And I came, came, to Pens- or came to Missouri with a partner, Kirk Pendleton, mm-hmm. and uh, he, he bought some land, and I brought my cows, and yep. we went into business. That's what started uh, Glenkirk Farms. Mm-hmm. One of those cows, by the way, uh, was uh, the mother of a— it was in calf when it came out to Missouri. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first standard of perfection bull, champion bull, at, and you know, the Paul Lifford breed. Right. And another one was the mother of a bull we sold for $30,000 to John Wayne. Oh, wow. 2026 bar rats. Yeah, I mean, sure. Talk about a heady deal. Yep, yep. And then another one became the, the grandmother of a $100,000 record price Hereford bull at that time, Horned Hereford bull, Grand Slam. Oh, yeah, sure. And there's, yeah. you know, there's a story that I'd love to tell, but we don't have time, but that's unbelievable story yeah. of, of, of Grand Slam, how he came from a $500 mother, grand, yeah, grandmother. Mm-hmm. But she was an amazing cow, and just one of those things, it was the right place at the right time. Right, right, right. So uh, you started putting together those cows, um, the, the partnership um, formed there, and, uh, you know, what was that, 19... 1966. Yep, yep, right in, yep. And... Um, so when you set out, you know, you know what you had a slogan, right? Uh, Glen Pro- Kirk Farms. What what was that? Producing what was that cattle that reproduce the greatest possible return per dollar invested. Yeah. So say that one more time. Well, producing cattle that reproduce the greatest possible return per dollar invested. Yep. Yep. And so your your motto behind that and kind of what you know what was your goal? I mean. Uh, I mean, it's it's laid out in that statement, but uh, it's it's more than that. Well, at that time, I think it all started, ironically enough, on our on our judging team. Herman Purdy told us that we wanted long, lean, muscular, waste-free hogs. Mm-hmm. We wanted short, thick, fat cattle. I thought there was a big disconnect. Right. And the first herd of cattle were the stretchier kind. In fact, to the, to the point of abuse, nobody would buy them then. Right. So I sold them. They were Angus. Yeah. I lead near 999 35th daughters and granddaughters. Hmm. I, I had the good ones. Oh, a my turn gosh. Of, I could have just kept them if yeah. I had been long, you know, lived sure. long enough. Right. And I decided, well, I'm going to go to a dispersal sale. In Illinois, Harold Arndt, one of the greatest cowmen I've ever known, he managed Ankeny for many, many years. Right. Anyhow, he was managing this Pold Herford outfit. They had a dispersal. He and I got together and, and picked out you know, the cattle that would fit me, and he agreed, but he had other cattle that, you know, that sold better. Right. Well, I, it was kind of a mother load. Mm-hmm. Along with that set of cattle, I got out and lose Delaware, where somebody had spent more money than anybody ever had in the Hereford business. Yep. All he ever wanted was a national champion pulled Hereford bull. This one morning, the manager comes in and says, we've got him. And the guy was euphoric. Yeah. This was his main thing in life. That was his goal. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And But a, two weeks later, the manager comes in and says, our hard man drove over him with a pickup truck in the deep grass. Oh, no. And the owner <laughs> says, I want every... So-and-so animal off of here by tomorrow night. I'm done. That's when I got the call 
buy, yeah. buy that set of cows, 10 cows, including the mother of that calf. Oh that, was, that was a grandmother grand slam. Yep. Okay, so then, then I came out here, and I said, you know, really? There's all these short, fat cattle around here. Yep. Big teats on some of them. Prolapses on others. Pink on bunches of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it sounds like it's all negative, but it kind of was. What? Because I wanted to spend my life doing something useful. Right. And it didn't seem like there was. And I was going to go to Colorado State. Then to Dr. Stoniker he offered me an assistantship. Sure. Go to school. And my father said, Glenn, go to Canada and see if you can find something there. Yeah. So this was kind of my last deal. And I couldn't, I didn't find anything at, at a big show, a two-day show. It mm-hmm. looked just like the ones at our, our place. Right. You know, the feet were not very good on a lot of them. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of testicles were, you know, I, I don't like the white testicles on Hereford's, <laughs> white scrotums, anyhow. Right. So all that kind of stuff. And I just accidentally a person comes out and says, don't think they're all like this. And he took me to his place the next day. And it was like I'd seen the sun for the first time in my life. Right. Boy, I mean, this was in July. These 600-pound calves coming out of the bush. I mean, big old soggy suckers. Right. Cows that were just bloomy. Yep. Just, I mean, they were, they were sharp. Mm-hmm. And they were attractive. Right. And they, they knew that they, were, that they were good. Yeah, right. It was that kind of a deal. Yeah. So I went home, and I told my partner, we've— I mean, you know what about this? He says, well, we'll borrow $25,000. Well, really, that's not what I intended to do because he was supposed to supply the money, but then didn't. But anyhow, so we, we borrowed the 25000 and that's what really made Glen Kirk Farms because then I went up there and bought a bull. Yeah. Oakland Ridge Lamp the 12th. He's in the back of lots of our pedigrees today. Right. Big Northern. Oh, yeah. The bull that made absolute his- history. I mean, you there, when we took him to Denver, we could hardly even get into feed and water him because it was always yeah. such a huge crowd. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. Never, even yeah. close. Yeah. But that's people were people were craving for cattle like what what I was visualizing and some others. Yep. But they didn't at that time have the courage because almost nobody do else it. was doing it. Yep. Right. So we would have been right in the middle sixties. That's right. You would have been seeing this ahead of the type change that would have occurred in nineteen sixty nine seventy, right, right in that time. And so a visionary. Uh, for sure, and um, it it was. I mean, people were blackballed uh, for liking that kind. And uh, judges, I know, uh, you know, Doctor Don Good didn't judge a uh, show after he picked Conoco uh, for quite a while. Exactly, and uh, he was one of the great ones of all time. Right, and I'm talking about Don Good. It just, I mean, it just, it just wasn't wasn't popular. But uh, you know, you found the the genetics, and so. Uh, Can-Am investor. Right. Really began the whole blinking thing. Exactly. Judging team kids came to our, our place that year. That was the first year that I had invited right. judging teams. Yep. And they went back and told their parents and I, and with the judging team coaches themselves. And some of them were judges, some of the big shows. Sure. And I mean to tell you, it was, it was like a giant waterfall. Right. All of a sudden, yep. things began happening. Then we sold. Yep. That bull became one of them, became national champion. Yep. Sold him for $40,000. You know, forty thousand was then quarter interest. <laughs> quarter interest. Yeah, I forty thousand, and today that, that would be, be like two hundred or maybe or close to it. I'd yeah. say more, probably more. Well, it's it'd be a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, you're off and running. Uh, it's the early seventies, and uh, you know you're having visitors from around the world come in and and see the cattle. Right. Um, your first production sale. Um, Let's let's talk about that. The first production sale was I had purchased a group of heifers from Klondike Farms in Minot, Manitoba. And it turned out at that time that was probably talk about mother loads it was the herd as far as I was concerned. He was one of the very first, if not the first, person in Canada to, to keep actual weaning weight weaning and yearling weight weights on his cattle. Right. He was a absolute perfectionist when it came to numbers he kept numbers on every animal for forever mm-hmm. and he i mean he used those it wasn't like collected them he right. used them right and he called when there was an open cow he called it when there was one that was just didn't milk enough it called it you know all those kind of things no nonsense program he was it was just a business to him yep and he did it on all his fields even he would even sell some take some farms because it wasn't producing like one neighbor to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean, he was he was wonderful at it. Yeah. He was a guy. He went through tenth grade. 
he could call up the prime minister most of the time and get have his attention. Is that That's right? the kind of a cow, cow man he was. Right. Total integrity. Yeah. So it worked yeah. out well. I, yeah. He let me pick out 14 heifer calves. I took them home, and I says, you know, I says, I can't do this by myself. Mm-hmm. So I took, I kept the best one. I sold the other 13 at the auction sale. Why? Because, I, you know, money was money. But the reason was to let those cattle go into other herds and let them see what the difference was. Right. And let them be the spokesman. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And fortunately, almost all those cattle worked out really well. And, and, and it was, oh, my, it, it was great. Yeah. And then, I, you know, then I'd go up to, well, like, you talk about Jack Cooper and Holden. Yeah. You know, they were kind of. You know, they were one of the few that, to me, that had cattle that I liked. Right, right. You know, growthy and stretchier and yep. cattle that had some spine to them. And, mm-hmm. you know, they were just good, solid cattle. Sure. And anyhow, and then, then the Erdmans later, although, you know, they, they, they had the bigger, growthier kind of cattle. And mm-hmm. R.W. Jones, I almost bought that herd, but somebody somebody with a little more dough than I had got them. Right. But I was, I was really into, into numbers, way more than showing. Sure. We were very successful at showing, but it, I always said we showed our performance cattle. Right. And uh, anything, one thing led led to another, and uh, pretty soon we had, you know, the show ring was really the fire that allowed us to become known well mm-hmm. and to get the integ- get the credibility, as, especially from people from other countries. Right. Uh, they, you know, they're not close to us, so they read about us. And they, like anybody else, are they're competitive and they're proud, mm-hmm. and they like to do their winning. And I made an I made a deal with the person Los Lilas Ranch in Argentina, which turned out to be the outfit. Right. And I made pretty much an exclusive with them on Pold Herford Seaman. Mm-hmm. And boy, I think for five or six years, or maybe more, probably even more, about half they had about half the champions. They're all sired by our bulls. Just dominated. Yeah. And then, then even even the year we got in the Angus business later on, in, in 77, when the Hereford thing was going really well, I decided, my goodness, our neighbors, they're, you know, it's better that they crossbreed them because I'm a big heterosis guy. Right. You know, yep. two plus two equals five. I'd, I'm, I'm into that. You're going to take it every time. Every time. Yep. And I, I went up to Pioneer Beef Cattle Company and got – their best by by the uh, Rito Bull, mm-hmm. Dale Davis, you know, he mm-hmm. and, of course, uh, Schaff's. The, yeah. they, they all go back to that bull. But yeah. I had actually the best daughters of him. Is that right? And then I got Power Play. Yep. There was more cattle registered to Power Play than any other bull in history up to his time. Right, right. And, and and then I then I got another another Angus bull from Nichols who became the performance bull and he won more down there than any other bull in history in, in Argentina. Right, right. So it's just a function of just you know just breeding the best of the best. Yep, yep. So um, you know your uh, your success at Glenkirk Farms and I know you know uh, the eighteen nineteen different national champions that you had over time. I mean that's yeah. uh, um, impressive in itself, but I think another side that maybe people and, and it's coming out here on this show is that your love for, for performance and uh, you were a big big advocate of the Beef Improvement Federation, uh, longtime attendee of that conference and 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 still go. Um, you know today uh, it's nice seeing you at those events, but measuring performance and uh, the the critical part of that and I I think you wrote a nice balance between the two as an operation you understood the value thank you and um you know it's uh you know those were those were interesting times because people didn't want to deal with the numbers um it was all based off of visual appraisal and and that's it's good uh we're both advocates of that but uh, you, you got to measure them uh to really find the outliers and and uh put them on the rail but the visual appraisal has to do with with function as much as anything and the reason you want function is that you can carry the extra weight mm-hmm. and be active and do the deed like a a short-bodied bull that's real fat and full of guts cannot breed a cow as well as one that's longer and 
leaner and more active and agile yep. and aggressive. Right, right. I mean, those, these are simple things, and it applies to all things in nature and life. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. balance, by the way, is one of my absolute favorite words, mm-hmm. the meaning of to keep things in synchronization. We all want harmony, don't mm-hmm. we? That's right. And that's, yep. uh, that's what we do. Yep, yep. So uh, you were um, chairman of the American Pold Hereford Association uh, there in 80... 82, I think. 82, 80, 83, sometime mm-hmm. in, in, that, in that time frame. What was the breed dealing with then? I mean, what was, I mean, you were rocking and rolling. Glenn Kirk Farms was was rolling along. You were, you know, on the board at, you know, what, uh, what did, were we going on a trajectory that was getting too big at that time or were we, were we not, not yet. there yet? We weren't there yet. In fact, that's probably one of the best times in our history, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we'd gone through, you know, when, when a dramatic change takes place, there's repercussions. Right. Not everything's for free. When the cattle got, got bigger and we did all of these things in a hurry, there was a lot of experimentation going on. It was not based so much at that point on, uh, on real numbers. Mm-hmm. So we had some cattle that were getting too big, some that were getting too straight-shouldered, uh, maybe we're losing some milk. Well, of course, we didn't have that much at, before that, frankly, in any of the breeds, but let's face it, we yes. needed it. Yep, yep. And uh, it, 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 was a, it was a dramatic time, but by 1982, things had pretty much smoothed out to where we were making pretty solid, real progress. Right. Cons- more consistent. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about that a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Notwithstanding that, there can be no such thing as making improvement if there aren't differences. Right. Right? Sure. But we had gone through the dramatic part. We were within a certain set of parameters. Mm-hmm. But then it became a, a lot more bumpy right after that with the advent of a, of a bull that wasn't what he was purported to be. Right. And this caused not only a lot of trauma and loss of friendship and all the, all the rest of it and a lot a loss of lots of money was lost yep and in, in our own herd one of the best things we ever did is i i inventoried every animal all the time i mean every time they go through a shoot i'd put a price on them mm-hmm. i mean i mean why do you keep all these performance records right that that goes into the what you see and and what you know mm-hmm. so i had a guy with the performance records right there with me we'd go out to the pastures we'd do it all the time mm-hmm. Anyhow, so our our herd, of course, we had a big herd at that time. Right. It lost over a million dollars in our inventory. Is that right? Because of that bull. Yep. Right. So, you know, as much as I believe in heterosis and what that's what he was. Right. But you, I don't believe in saying something that ain't so. Yep. That's too far. That yeah, definitely is. You know, we we see it in politics today. Look where it leads us. Yep. 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 It's the same thing then, and it it it. it I mean, we learned a lot of real lessons. Sure. One is, but you better be pretty straight in life or it's going to get pretty crooked for you. Catches up to you. Guys. Catches up to you. So, uh, but, it, but it was it was great. You know, it was, oh, man, we had 180,000 registrations in the Pole Hereford breed then, I think, that, that year. Right, right, right. So Hereford, uh, Hereford's on top. Uh, you know, the Horn Association would have been rolling along, you know, Exactly. Really strong at that yep. time, and uh, you know we move into you know um, you know a time period you know where we just this made them bigger and better was kind of the the, the thinking, right? They did. Yep. And you know I I just I love Hereford cattle. To me, right. horned and pulled are Herefords. Sure. Right. And I've, I was I was an advocate of that, and I, yep. you know some people didn't like me a lot because of that, but right. you know what the heck? Right. When when they started talking about all of the, all the things we have going on in the world, you know, problems and opportunities, and they start talking about the horn being the being the central piece of it, I just you know I couldn't go for that. I just went, but if they had horns, it's great. If they didn't, yeah. it was okay. I mean, yeah. and and then we got a bull called King Ten. Yeah. <laughs> and his background was pulled. 
He was yep. a brother-sister mating that right. went back to a pulled bull. Yep. But he was horned, and he was a spectacular bull and always will be. Right. Big northern. Oh, my goodness. Sure. Now he, he was all horned, but that guy, yep. oh, man, I wish we had him today. Yep. Yep. Unbelievable bull. You know, and, and there's un, one of the things that went almost all the cattle, we had 75 progeny, I mean, 75 bulls whose progeny we tested mm-hmm. all the way from conception rate to value of carcass. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, we're talking about almost several thousand, almost 2,000 head of cattle yep. that, we, that we saw during, during that time. Right. And uh, uh, Big Northern looked to us, we never did test him, but his, his sons and his, some of his grandsons all had w- a standard deviation or two above normal on marbling. Is that right? Yep. Yep. We, you know, I wish we'd have known it then. Yeah. You know, and I was offered $75,000 for him when he came back from Denver. Yep. Cold cash. I didn't know what 75000 was, but I was just, I, I knew I had something that was totally, totally unusual. Right. I had a lot of confidence in him. I loved his mother. Yeah. And I, I said, no, and I kept him. And it's a good thing because we sold probably a quarter million dollars worth of semen on him. Easily, I bet. Yep. Yep. Easily, I bet. So, um, how many production sales did you have, Glenn? You know, honestly, I don't know. Like a lot of other things, that we were going so fast, yeah. I didn't keep track. Right. But it should be over 70. Yep, yep. And uh, a few of those were well over a million, million and a half dollar sales. Right. Um, in, in old numbers. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you know, the only ones that probably have is more more dollars worth of, would be the Shoffs and the Angus deal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we didn't even stop to consider it at that time. Of course, we were running from the, from the hounds. Almost all of our money was borrowed. Yeah. And then it got up to that 22% interest. And, you know, to pay that interest, pay principal, eat. You it know, took we, a we lot. forgot about growing by that time. Yeah. Because that was, you know, that was yeah. impossible. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we, we kept on going because I really, really believed in, you know, my passion for agriculture and the people in it, mm-hmm. even today, yeah. it's, it just kept, kept me trucking. And I really, yeah, I was concerned with the money thing because it was, you know, it was difficult. Sure. And our troops were all in with me. Mm-hmm. My wife, is, you know, she is an absolute saint. How, how she, I was gone half the time. She kept the troops together. Yeah. Whenever they get down the mouth and like in April when you're having a sale, you're calving and you're starting on your AI deal. Right. All of that comes together and it's muddy. Yeah. And and the people were getting down the mouth and their and their brides were wondering why they weren't home on time to eat supper. Right. And then my wife would say, "It's my birthday." <laughs> she'd gather them up in the on, in the morning and she had about 10 birthdays in, the, in that spring. Yeah. <laughs> but it it yeah, it, they stayed together, and my yep. goodness, some of the best people I think in the world. I mean, right. we, we've had some of the really, really good ones. Yep. that we were there. We were their mentors, including yep. people from other countries: right. Argentina, Brazil, Canada, yep. South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. All a lot of those people that are deep, deep breeders today have lived at our place, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, that's something I take a lot of pride in. Absolutely, so they I mean, soaked uh, it up, and. Uh, you know, I think uh, now that, you know, everybody's kind of heard your story, you know, sounds a lot like Professor Purdy. <laughs> you know, uh, you, you saw, you know, potential in young right. people That's and uh, you gave them opportunities and uh, where they took it from there is where it led them. And uh, That's right. You know, it's uh, it's neat how that just unfolds over time in history and, um I'm sure you can see that with the people that you taught now doing it for the next generations. I think uh, as long them. as long as we maintain our integrity, our credibility, our our, our reason for respect, mm-hmm. and we let those whom we employ, in, in this case, let them know where we want to go mm-hmm. and kind of what kind of resource we have to get there and say, do your best to get us there. Right. And that way they'll all pitch in. They will utilize more than their God-given resources. They will feel a love and a passion. It's a hands-off thing. Yep. 
if our politicians would learn that, just think where we'd be. We'd have a different president right now and not getting in our way. Exactly. If, if we would yep. turn the American people loose, yep. oh, my goodness, those Russians wouldn't have any idea where we came from right. or the Chinese either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got it. Mm-hmm. And we've got it. I mean, the good Lord's given us so many opportunities mm-hmm. and showed us all kinds of ways to get there. Yep. And we've got different paths to get. That's great. That's yep. wonderful. Right. But at the same time, let's attain our goals and let's do, you know, for all of us around us what we can. Mm-hmm. To make their lives more, more useful, more fruitful, more happy. Yeah. Uh, so we're, you know, uh, you're you're well into the Hereford. Uh, so kind of, you know, all good things must kind of come to an end. And uh, Glen Kirk Farms, you know, in that 20, twenty-eight years. Twenty-eight years, and uh, had your had your dispersion and uh, parted ways, and and went on to the next chapter which was my son and i we got together he had just graduated from kansas state and uh, we started our own deal mm-hmm. and uh it was going we had some really good sales that was going very very well we had to do it all on rented land because we didn't have the means to do anything else our partner left us kind of high and dry but that's another another story anyhow it's just the way life is right and uh then he was getting, going to get married, and boy, it was just tough to to make it all work. So we decided, well, maybe maybe we better just do something different. And I was to the point where I was really really into politics. I have really kind of my whole life, and I thought maybe I could do some good for agriculture there. Mm-hmm. And you know, the whole thing was to you know to win. And I was in a district that hadn't had a person of my party since the great depression Mm -hmm. but i ran for the senate anyhow because you know i just i don't ever think of losing right and by george we didn't (laughs) and in fact we won it pretty big as the first one since since the great depression to be a be a senator from that district and i went down there in jefferson city and i think you know my my idea was always to go slow don't don't jump on people work on them one by one Mm -hmm. one on one Mm -hmm. and uh develop respect for them and yourself mm-hmm. and then things will begin to happen it's the stuff that you do behind the scenes of course that that matters most right uh, in this day and age often that's not taken as gospel because they they're, they're taught that they must brag on what they do even what they don't do they say they do mm-hmm. and uh, i wasn't i wasn't into that and uh but at the and we were getting along really well in fact the the guy that was he was a son of the of our of our congresswoman. He was also a senator, but his district was revamped so that it was part of mine. So we we were running against each other this oh, next wow. time. Oh wow! Yeah. So you know that that wasn't going to happen because hell, you know, there's lots and lots of money going his way. Mm-hmm. Well, it turned out they did a poll about a month or so before, and he bailed out because he wasn't going to win. Right. Well, then I had the there's something came up in my personal life and my business life and I decided I, I can't do this yeah I've, I've got so I had to bail out five minutes before the deadline and I got another guy to a congressman or, or a, a representative yeah and he's really really good my, from my district and a young guy agricultural background and I went up to him and I says hey I'm, I'm bailing out sign sign in here's your chance yep and he signed in and of course, by that time, the, the other guy w- couldn't, couldn't. <laughs> so he won, and uh, now he's a chairman of the, or the, the, well, he will be chairman if the Republicans win this fall. He'll be chairman of the Transportation Committee. Wow. United States Congress. Yeah. So that ter- turned out to be, be a pretty good deal. Mm-hmm. And he's always big, big on agriculture. He's a super solid vote there. Right, right. Yep. And then, then later on, I, I came back just because they needed me and I was in a position to become representative. I said, I'll, I'll do it for one term, you know, just to mm-hmm. have room to let somebody else that follows me. And that, that, right. that's, that's what happened. Yep. Yep. So you're, you were involved in politics and, um, you know, that, uh, you're, you're winning, winning ways. And I, I can, I can see that, uh, 
how you'd be quite convincing. And uh, we need more people that come from agriculture in those seats. Uh, so that's uh, that's uh, great, and I, I hope we have more to, to continue. I want to go back just a little bit and talk a little bit about uh, your checkoff days, uh, your, your involvement in Cattlemen's. And, um, you know, you were chairman of the National Beef Promotion uh, Program. And just, uh, you know, we were in some tough times. Uh, we went through this, you know, war on beef. And, uh, and I think everybody has different opinions about the checkoff program today. But I'd hate to know where we would be without it. And uh, so let's let's share a little bit about your it, your history there. It, it, it almost seems in that topic <laughs> that often there's more criticism about something that becomes very successful than, than if it didn't. And uh, you know there's I know it works that way in life. Yeah. But yes, you were right. Our beef business was in dire condition back in the mid '80s. Mm-hmm. The whole cholesterol thing, for instance, I mean, everybody was going to die from eating beef because of cholesterol. Right. That's kind of the message that we were getting at that time. Yep. And Joanne Smith, she was kind of the spearheader. A whole bunch of us got with her mm-hmm. to, to form this thing. It had to be done through the auspices of the United States Congress. So it's a congressional opportunity, really. Right. Uh, even though, and the only reticence that I personally had is, you know, I don't want to have somebody help me that's got control of me. Right. But it, at least at that time, they backed off as long as we kept our nose clean mm-hmm. and did the did it the right way and adhered to all the rules and regulations. Mm-hmm. But it did not stop us from doing what we want to do, which was promote our product. Yep. I remember one time that uh, Paul Angler, he was fed about eight hundred thousand. He was the biggest feedlot guy at the time. Sure. And he came came to me when I was chairman, and he says, "Glenn, he says I'm putting eight hundred thousand dollars into this outfit every year." He says, "I want you to spend some money on determining feed conversion." Mm-hmm. Well, I kindly, as I knew how, you know, Paul's Paul, but uh, I said, uh, "Paul, I said, first of all, if anybody in the world ought to know something about feed conversion, it's you." Yeah. <laughs> And secondly, uh, it doesn't, it's not allowed in our act and our order. Mm-hmm. It's for promotion of beef and our product. Right. And besides, and this, this will sound good to you, and I said it to him just straight out. I said, Paul, I'm going to give you a piece of advice in case you don't already know it. You put the Herefords together, you feed them. You put the other breeds together, you feed them. You'll find out the Herefords are the cheapest cattle to feed. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was kind of fun but yeah. you know uh, the very first meeting I, I went to I I mean I, I went it was down in Oklahoma it's kind of a you know get together meeting mm-hmm. all of us had had already been chosen 112 members and they had to come up with an operating committee so of, of 10 10 of those members and I walked in there and a whole bunch of people were waiting for me I'd been visiting ranches on the way down you know, customers right so I was in my you know working garb mm-hmm. and I walked in there and a whole bunch of them before I even got to the front desk to sign in they wanted me to run for the operating board well geez I didn't even know what what they were talking about well so you know you, you do what you're asked because these are some pretty heavy heavy hitting people and I, I ended up getting the, the second most next to Joanne's votes is that right <laughs> <laughs> so which, which shows you that you know that seed stock producers are more well known yeah uh, and I you know I when I was on that on the uh, membership committee, I was chairman of the membership committee from N- NCA. Mm-hmm. I went after the people that would raise purebred cattle. Right. I, and I said, I mean, they said, "Why are you doing this?" I said, "I said because they're part of the industry and they're organized." Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. And and that's that's what we were. And uh, then then I uh, nominated Fred Johnson to be the treasurer, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he became. And that was one of the more fortuitous things that ever happened to the to the beef board because that guy was a whiz he was yep. smart right. and he was totally keep it straight and anyhow so one thing led to another and pretty soon i was a i was a chairman the third third chairman right uh, joanne was chairman twice and then fred and then i was chairman twice mm-hmm. i think we're the only two that were ever ever chairman twice yep. but uh 
the, the amount of good, it's, you can't ever measure it, you know, even in hindsight. But I, I agree with you. If it hadn't been for Joanne Smith and her absolute courage, and she was dogmatic. She was also the chairman of uh, the National Cattlemen's Association before that. So, sure. so she, had some, she had some weight. Yep. But we wouldn't be where we are today. I hope we wouldn't be where the, where the sheep are today because yeah, exactly. it could have happened. Yep. Yep, real easy. And, and and the people that gripe about it even today, you know, lots of times, you know, ignorance is bliss, but it sure can be a pain in the neck too. So the uh, the you know launch beef in uh, TV, and, and you got it in front of people uh, through the commercials and the beef. What's for dinner? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's uh, I'm not for sure when all that started, but uh, you would that have was, been kind of right in the middle of uh, that promotional. Yeah. And that, I, that when, when I was chairman, yeah. we came up with a yeah. beef. That's what's it's what's for dinner. Yep. And I I I made the motion to take the check off. You know the, mm-hmm. the check mark. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. That was my deal. And we had the beef industry council that was working with us out of Chicago. And they, you know, they had a whole staff, and they'd been there for a long time, and they knew a lot about the industry itself. And so we utilized, utilized them as contractors. It was, it was really a, it was an eye-opener. I probably never worked so hard in my life, but it, it seemed so valuable to me. Mm-hmm. You know, the year, one year when I was chairman, I, I spent about half of, my, half of my total waking hours on, the, on that program. Yeah. Because well, I, we had to fire a CEO. Right. And that, so I had to take, take that, you know, non-paid position for about six months. Mm-hmm. So, but anyhow, it gives you an idea of how much sacrifice really we make. And this is not always good for the business either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we believed enough in it that we, and these were some of the heavy hitters in the beef industry, especially that first time around. Right. Almost everybody you know, I mean, like, man, Ken, like Ken Monford. Right. And, and, and I think I had eight chairman of eight different committees. And I put four freshmen on chairman of those committees. Oh, wow. And our CEO but went bonkers. <laughs> yeah. And I said, well, I know all of these, these people that I'm putting on as chairman. I know them pretty darn well. Yeah. And all four of them became chairman. Is that right? Wow. I'm pretty proud of that, too. Yeah. That is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you've, uh, you've definitely been involved in a lot of, a lot of different things. And the, the common denominator is beef and cattle. You know, that's, uh, that's right. I, I love cattle, whatever they are. I, I've got to admit, I mean, I'm, here it's easy to admit because it's, it's a pride of mine. But Hereford cattle have always been, you know, to me, they're, they're as fertile as, as any of them. They have their greatest feed efficiency, as far as I know. Uh, the right kind have a lot of longevity. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are, and their disposition, you know, my goodness. And the, and the older you get, the more important that becomes. And they and they cross so well with so many breeds. You know the Boss Indicus breeds. That, I mean, my goodness, you, how do you beat it? Right. And 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 I, as you know, I was involved with some Kianinas at one time too because of their leanness, their carcass ability. You know, their sixty-eight percent right. dressing percentage, that kind of thing. Sure. You know, great tasting meat. If meat's just like velvet, and and yet there's very little fat. I don't know whether we could ever come to that and keep our keep our cow herd in, in, in the right condition. I don't know. Yeah. But I like I like those bold cows. That doesn't mean that they're fat. Right. They they just they just strong. That's that's the challenge, and that's that's where I was going, uh, kind of with this next chapter because we're, you know, we're in a pivotal time. Uh, you know, we've uh, seem like we've leveled off in frame. I mean, we don't have the extremes that uh, uh, we once did, and uh, you know that's. Uh, you talked about balance before, you know, and trying to find that balance. Uh, and I think that's truly where we're at right now of, okay, do we make cows that have longevity and can work in the pasture and, and all those things? Or do we focus on the the terminal side and in product merit? And, uh, you know, the industry said we have to have both, you know. Well, that's always, a you know, a subject that's gone on forever. Yeah. And, and sometimes my response is that, you know, we get what we breed for. You know, some people believe in, in line breeding in, in order to get consistency. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's mm-hmm. certainly a way that's been time immemorial, proven right. to be at least right. in part right. Yeah. Other people believe in breeding trait to trait 
to get that consistency. Mm-hmm. I'm more of an advocate of that because it gets a gives you a wider selection opportunity. Right. Uh, you know, it, it, if if you if you breed cattle that that are that have a lot of, you know, we're in the food business, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, beef is what we're producing. Yep. Uh, grass is the vehicle, and our other resources, but grass primarily. I've seen cattle that have progeny have great carcasses. They can be sixteen hundred pounds. Takes a pretty good sized cow to raise one. Yep. Yep. That way. Right. I've seen them last a long time. Mm-hmm. Never get sick. Yep. We can we can reach for those stars. Absolutely. You know, to keep things in balance, I always say you know, it's kinda of like a football field. You have your parameters. But I want I want my parameters always to kind of bounce off the guardrails. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. Right. And it takes a lot more work. It takes it's more risky. Mm-hmm. But my goodness, the benefits potentially are pretty huge. Right. And you know, and we have got to compete with that stinking chicken. Yeah. And all I know is when I look at the carcass weights through the years, they've gone from five hundred and fifty pounds. To 900 plus pounds. Sure. So we better be careful that we get them, if we get them too small, you know, they always say, well, a smaller cow is more efficient. Well, you know, really, is she? It just depends. Sometimes she is and sometimes she's not. Right. And for the whole industry. Yep. For the whole industry, you know, if you've got a thousand pound cow, her steer is better, you know, unless you breed her, you know, 1100 pound steer. That's not, that's not enough. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. The only, the one the one de- common denominator we found in all the testing that we did, and we did the testing all the way through on all those cattle I told you about, was that the heavier the carcass, by and large, the more money you make. Yep. If somebody is standing there and says what those cattle are worth when they come in, and then you keep track of all their feed, and you evaluate each carcass as they go out, you'll find out, by and large, the ones that are weighing 1,000 pounds are going to make more money than the ones that are weighing 800. Pounds or dollars. Pounds are dollars. Yes, pounds are right. dollars. Yep, they sure are. Yep. And, and 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 the great great thing about having growthier ones is that they don't. You've got more flexibility with their physiological endpoint. Mm-hmm. If if cattle are worth X number of dollars today, and they're you know you think they might be worth thirty days from now, X number plus, and they've still got the ability to grow and not put on just extra lard bark waste. That's worth quite a little bit. Yep. There's no doubt. And uh, we're going to test that uh, as we go forward with this market uh, here uh, here in the next couple of years and corn prices, uh, what they're doing. I mean, that's, uh, I think we're in an awesome uh, time period to, you know, let let's people see what really Hereford Genetics can do from a conversion standpoint. And we've uh, put more growth in these cattle and, and allowed them to, to get to a point and, and have some end product. When they're there, you know, I, I dare say with the Hereford, you know, if if it comes to where we're backgrounding more of our own cattle, feed less cows, background some of those cattle, mm-hmm. give them a little bit more time, instead of killing them at 15 months, it might be 18 months, mm-hmm. and the last 120 days are hard feed, they will be at an age then where they have, will have reached that that end point, and they will more of them will grade higher. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think it's an it's an, going to be an advantage. Right. Right. So uh, we'll kind of wrap up here, uh, Glenn. You know, appreciate you being on and uh, sharing uh, a brief part of history. I mean, we could have taken uh, tolls off, and uh, you know, you've got uh, one uh, one one thing. Excuse me for interrupting. Yeah. My kids, you know, when it's all said and done, that's kind of where it is. Right. And. Uh, I, I'm going to take two minutes just to brag on them. Can I, can I do that? You need to. And, and you, you bragged about your wife a little bit earlier, but yeah, we, well, we better introduce her. She, well, yeah, Linda is <laughs> – I don't normally brag about her because when she hears it, it ticks her off. Uh, but then she did an amazing job with the kids. You know, it's a function of heredity and environment, and she probably got more of her genes, and she provided even more of the environment on the most part. 
although my my input was probably kind of strong, but it was there. <laughs> but my my oldest son, he had the he had a national two national champion heifers, mm-hmm. uh, junior national champion heifers, and uh, that's what paid his way and several of the others through school. He sold one of them for fifty six thousand dollars. She has a record price pulled her for, for for that day. The next day, his younger brother beat him. Yeah, <laughs> she, and he had the next. He had the highest selling heifer of all time, seventy one thousand dollars. Yeah, and, and she and became what year, what and she became that? famous. It was back in, uh, but I don't know. Forget. Whew. I I I would know, but I don't know. Be late. Uh, huh. He was born in sixty three. The first first one was on sixty seventy couple. I don't know. Do you know? But at any rate, it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. But uh, then he he went to Washington. He went to George Washington University, mm-hmm. had an internship with our our congressman. Mm-hmm. Then became became his ag guy. Mm-hmm. Then then he went to work for our U.S. senior senator. Yep. Became his ag guy. And then became his chief of staff. There's not very many farm kids that get to be chiefs of staffs of a of senior senior right. U.S. senators, and he made yeah. one heck of a big difference there. Absolutely, bigger than we'll ever know. And uh, which son was that? That was the oldest son. That was Brian. Brian. And then he, and then yep. he became the right. uh, President Trump called and asked whether he'd be the interim chairman while he selected his mm-hmm. Secretary of Agriculture. So Brian was basically the interim chairman for about three three months of you know. How many? Over a hundred thousand people. He he hired, I think, three of the three of the undersecretaries. Oh my! Which turned out to be really, really the good ones. One from Nebraska, one from South Dakota, and one from Iowa. Mm-hmm. They were, I mean, they're just super, super, super people. And that you, know, yeah. you, you see how the last administration, how ag leaning they they were. Oh, big time! I mean, it was a big huge time. difference, and it yeah. only takes a few. Right. If you got the right message, yep. and then the next brother, he's kind of like him, he, but he's a he's a registered nurse out way out in Washington. And he's okay. got a couple of slick, neat kids. Yep. Brian does too. His yep. he's got a girl that's going to the U.S. Military Academy now. Yep. She was she was third overall of all women in the triathlete. She's last, impressive. Last week. She's impressive. I've met her. <laughs> Have you? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, she's a go getter, and her yep. little brother's going to be probably the same same deal. He's yep. well, he's probably be a freaking lawyer, but but anyhow, and then. The, and then my daughter has, uh, teaches in, in uh, Northern Virginia, mm-hmm. and she's got that ranch girl about her. She's right. she's a disciplinarian. Yep. She loves him, but it's a tough love. Yeah, and she's got a whole bunch of people that have gone on to. She's a basketball coach to right. go on to college basketball, and she takes a lot of pride in that. Mm-hmm. Of course, she's a teacher too, but yep. she's she's been teacher or coach of the year for two years. Mm-hmm. And uh, then our youngest son, he was the one that was with me, and he still is in some ways. He has his own. He and his wife have their own commercial herd, and uh, he's a, a professional fireman. He's the third guy on the list at the St. Joseph Fire Company. And that's that's and, Ivan. And that's right? Ivan, and that's he's Ivan, yeah. he's a community leader. I mean, he's. Yep. I'm very very proud of them. They're all good thinkers, and you know, mm-hmm. I'm so proud of them and their kids. One was just an outstanding student at the graduating student at the Northern. Northern Michigan uh, Engineering School. Okay, she, she's an electrical engineer. Yeah, and then she's she's switching now. After she's done all this, now she's going to become a physician. Another one's going to architecture in uh, at K State, and then there's one that's 14 years old that loves a girl that loves cattle, and we talk cattle all the time. Yeah, so that's cool. And then she's got a little brother. I don't know what he's going to amount to yet, but it's 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 all great and. Uh, Yep. Cattle and uh, the lessons that we learned from, from livestock and et cetera, and from all the people. The people that that's really when it's all said and done, you hear it all the time, and it's very, very true. So many, some of you see these pictures on the wall. I mean, I know almost all of them. Right. And I've been, you know, it's just been absolutely wonderful. Your granddad, Charlie Boyd, yeah. you know, great friend. How many things that we did together? Sure. I mean, just things like that are just you. You live with your memories, especially at my age now. Yep. Yep. But, uh, you yep. Know, it, and I'm really fortunate that I haven't lost lost my total memory yet. No, your your mind is still remarkable, and um, you know I've get the honor. You know, you stop in from time to time, and it's always good to sit down and reflect. And uh, you know, you always uh, leave me with a pretty good challenge. And uh, you know, uh, that's I like that. You know, uh, good. You find a way to. Um, motivate you and and uh i think that's been evident throughout your career that uh 
you've got a really uh, natural way of doing that and energizing people is just uh, tremendous. Uh, you know, your sales uh, are a spark of that, but uh, just what you've done throughout the entire beef industry and uh, appreciate your friendship. Um, and so uh, any parting words? Well, I just want to uh, talk about inspiration. The Hereford breed is doing so well, and I just hope, you know, we talk about team effort. We don't all need to think the same, but we still are on the same team. Mm -hmm. And there needs to be some diversity at any rate, but only so much. And the team here in this building is doing a magnificent job, mm. whether, it's, whether it's all the stuff that you do, which is true, but sometimes that you don't get in the way is also yep. an, an aid. Let people kind of spread their wings and give them support and encouragement and subtle direction. And uh, we will continue to be, I think, the, the organization that houses the breed, that makes grass into food, that allows grass to sequester carbon, and that allows more and more people to know that the cow is not the destroyer of the planet. She is the creator. She is the absolute angel. She's the one that keeps things in balance mm -hmm. in spite of what we might do. That's right. So go cow, go Hereford cattle, and let's make this country a greater one by sticking to the things that we believe in. Don't be quiet. That's right. Well, can't wrap it up any better than that, folks. Uh, appreciate you tuning in to this episode. Uh, we're excited uh, where we're going uh, next month, and uh, we're going to tune in and, and learn a little bit more about Certified Hereford Beef and have uh, some special guests on uh, Beef Month that's here, right? Uh, get those Amen. get those grills out, get those burgers, uh, those gatherings. It's all coming. And it's an exciting time uh, for sure uh, every year. But uh, we'll be diving into uh, uh, some certified Hereford beef. Uh, that's my tease. I'm not going to tell you anymore uh, for for our next uh, episode. But uh, definitely appreciate you tuning in. And uh, with that, we're signing off. Thanks for tuning in to the American Hereford Association's podcast, 1881, with host Shane Bedwell. For more information, visit Hereford.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.